Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. This is Primal Potential, and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Through education, motivation, and implementation, we will bridge the gap between knowing and doing so we can master fat loss naturally and help you reach your highest potential. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. And it is crazy, but this is part six of our Fat Loss Basics series. I've had a really great time doing this series on sort of the basics of what you need to know about fat loss. And in this episode, I want to answer the questions that have come in from you guys on the topics that we have covered. And if you haven't checked out parts one through five, I definitely encourage you to do so because if you're listening to this Q&A episode without having heard parts one through five, you might feel a little confused. So I wanted to kick off the new year going through the primary areas that concern fat loss. And so in part one, we talked about calories and hormones and how they're both important. We talked about carbohydrates in part two, and then protein in part three, dietary fat in part four, and then the last segment we did was on fitness and exercise, how to be efficient with those things when your goal is fat loss. And of course, I have gotten a number of questions, all really wonderful questions, from email, from social media. I think most of you are really enjoying this series. What I'm planning to do is put it up on primalpotential.com under the Getting Started tab. So anytime that you feel maybe a little lost, maybe like you need to center yourself and get back to your priorities, this series would probably be a good place to start to remind you what the most high impact things are for fat loss. Because as I've said in probably every episode of this series, it's easy to get lost in doing the things that aren't really the drivers of results. And we want to be efficient. We want to be effective. You know, it's like if we're cleaning our house, right, and we only have an hour to do it, we probably don't want to start with the baseboards, right? There are a couple of things, and it's been interesting if you read any women's magazines or things, they talk about how if you ask a woman all the things that she needs to clean in her home, you'd probably get very different answers if you asked a man, but if you ask a woman, she could make a huge long list of all the things that she needs to clean within her home. But there are a couple of those things that if they're done, she feels like everything's kind of under control, like the floors and the kitchen and the bathrooms. But, you know, the list is much longer than that, dusting and vacuuming the living room and doing the laundry. But If those couple of core things are done, everything feels pretty much in control. And the same is true in all areas of life and certainly fat loss. If we can focus on a few of the most effective things, the highest value items, then we do less, we have more time, we have more energy, but we still get the results that we want. So in each of the show notes pages for these episodes, I've linked to a ton of other blogs and podcasts where I go into a lot more detail. So if you feel like 
you want more detail, it is there for you. Check out the links in the show notes. But today I'm just going to answer your questions. And if you have other questions that I don't tackle today, please do not hesitate to let me know. Shoot me an email. Let me know on social media. I will do whatever I can to get you an answer to your question. All right, so as it relates to part one about calories and hormones, I got an email from someone who was really frustrated. And she said, I'm kind of at the end of my rope. I'm doing everything right. I'm eating clean and I'm working out, but nothing is happening. What do I do? Here's the truth. If you are doing everything right and you're not getting results, you're not doing everything right. And when we have this notion of like, I'm doing everything right, I'm eating clean and I'm working out, I get it, but that's based on what we think is right. When we concern ourselves with the right plan, that is based on somebody's writing or somebody's teaching and not paying attention to our bodies. Because if you are paying attention to your body, then you will know that it's not right until you see results, right? We often employ other people's answers and then say, see, I did it and and it's, and it's not working. Well, just because it works for somebody else doesn't mean that it is working for you. And I say this with total and complete understanding and empathy because I know how frustrating that can be. But if it's not giving you results, it's not right for you. And it doesn't matter if it is right for somebody else. At so many points, you know, because I've really damaged my metabolism so severely over the years, at so many points, people have said to me, gosh, Elizabeth, if I ate like you eat, like I would be a toothpick or, you know, you never seem to indulge. Like, but there are so many people that could do what I do and get results so much faster than I do. But that doesn't matter to me because all that matters to me is the metabolic hand that I've been dealt, right? And that's that's okay. That's great. But if we look at what other people are doing and then get frustrated that it's not working for us, it can be a little bit of a waste of energy. And this is why tracking is so valuable. So what I encouraged her to do, obviously, is go back to the basics and start tracking. Write everything down. Sometimes just the act of seeing it Writing it down and seeing it in front of you allows you to go, oh, okay, I can't tell you how many of my one-on-one clients and even clients within group coaching have said, once I looked at my tracking document, things that I hadn't seen for years became glaringly evident to me. So start tracking what you eat, how much, when, how it makes you feel, and then start with the very fundamental basics. Go with a fat loss breakfast. Many, many people feel like they're eating healthy and then they're like, why, why am I eating so healthy and not seeing results? We have to remember that there is a difference in healthy things and things for fat loss. There is a difference between what somebody does to maintain their weight and the hormonal conditions required for fat loss. So start with the fat loss breakfast. Pay close attention to your hunger, to your energy, to when you experience hunger how quickly you feel satisfied once you start eating. The situation could be that you're eating too much or you're just not eating things that are best for fat loss. Maybe they're healthy, maybe they're whole foods, but either in their quantity or just their nature, they are not ideal for fat loss. You can eat well and you can move your body 
and not be doing what you need for fat loss. And so if you're not experiencing fat loss, guess what? You are not doing what is right for your body. And so I sent her some links to how to make breakfast a fat-burning meal, um, paleo and primal lunch ideas, to the article that I wrote on tracking. And I will link to all of those things that I sent to her as resources in the show notes page for this episode. Then I got a question a little bit more related to hormones, and it was from a woman who said, I love intermittent fasting. When I break my fast after several hours, I do so with protein or fat. That means, since I'm not breaking my fast with carbohydrates, that I stay in fat burning mode, right? Now, here's the thing we have to remember, and I go into this in the episode that I did on intermittent fasting and overfeeding. So there are two different states that your body can be in, fasting or fed, right? Um, Another way to put it is postprandial or postabsorptive. So postprandial means after a meal. After a meal, your body is putting away the fuel that you just ate, right? So whether it's protein or whether it's fat, when you are in that post or, or carbohydrate for that matter, when you are in that postprandial state, your body is taking fuel that you have eaten and processing it, using it for energy and taking any extra, if there is any, there might not be, right? If there is any and storing it. When you, I refer to that as sort of having fuel in the pipeline, that postprandial state, your body is going to use that fuel. Your body breaks down fat when there is not enough or not any fuel in the pipeline. So it's not as simple to say, well, if I break my fast with protein and fat, then I stay in fat burning mode. Because during the digestive process, unless you've just had like a a bite or two of food or a nibble or whatever, your body uses that fuel that you just ate for energy. So most cases, most cases, You don't need to burn fat immediately after a meal. So you have suspended fat burning during the postprandial state, whether you had protein or fat or carbohydrate, because your body doesn't need to break down fat at that time. Now, the reason that we talk about avoiding carbs in the morning is because when you have carbs in the morning, your postprandial state lasts a whole lot longer because of the blood sugar response and the insulin response. So when I say like, well, you're not exactly burning fat after you've just had bacon and eggs because you've put fuel into your body and your body is going to use that fuel. It doesn't have a need to break down fat. It doesn't break down fat from your hips and your thighs like out of goodwill. It does so when it needs fuel. So it's it's not as easy to say, oh, I stay in fat burning mode. What is probably more accurate to say is that you allow your body to return to a fat burning mode more quickly and more efficiently when you break your fast with protein and fat. All right, the next question was related to t- uh, tuning into your hormones. And she asked, how do I begin to know anything about the hormonal response in my body? When you talk about listening to your hormones and your hormones are always communicating with you, I don't even know what that means or where to start. I get that. 
I wrote a detailed ebook, I think it's like $9.99, and I will link to it in the show notes page for this episode about hormones and fat loss. And I go through hormone by hormone what it is, what it does, how it signals your body, how foods influence it, and how through diet and lifestyle strategies, very specifically, you can bring that particular hormone into balance. And if you have no desire to spend $9.99, that's cool. I did an abbreviated coverage of those topics in episodes 11 through 14 of the podcast, going hormone by hormone. I narrowed it down to a smaller list of hormones than what I cover in the ebook. Um, But what the hormone is, how it signals your body, what it feels like when you experience this sensation, it is likely this issue with this hormone uh, in episodes 11 through 14. Now, a word about episodes 11 through 14. iTunes only shows the last 100 episodes of any podcast. So 11 through 14 is more than 100 episodes ago, but you can see those on primalpotential.com when you hit the podcast tab that's on the homepage. All of the show notes pages are there. So you just go to sort of the end of that long list and episodes 11 through 14 are there. But the short answer to that question, how do you begin to tune into the hormonal responses in your body, is by tracking. The most common hormonal cues are going to be related to hunger, to mood, to sleep, energy, cravings, and the way that I have my clients start is just by making note of extremes. If you notice that you are dead tired, want to put your head down on your desk and take a nap at three in the afternoon, rank your energy on a scale of one to ten and write that down with the time. Or if you notice that you have extreme cravings for something, be really specific about the time and the type of cravings and their intensity. Same approach with mood, with sleep, with energy, with hunger, all of those things, that is hormonal biofeedback. All right, transitioning to part two, when we talked about carbohydrates, I got an email from a gentleman and he said, I drink a mix of lemon juice and ginger in the morning. Is this going to take me out of fat burning mode? Now, the important thing to remember, again, is that postprandial versus postabsorptive state. Postabsorptive means after your body has cleared the fuel from the pipeline, it's either burned it for energy or stored it as excess. But anytime we are in that postprandial state, our body is using the fuel that we just ate. Now, something like lemon juice and ginger is providing almost no fuel to your body, and so you can imagine that that postprandial state is very, very, very abbreviated, right? But more than that, we have to look at relativity here. When we look at something like lemon juice and ginger and consider its impact on fat burning, this is when we go back to the four questions that help us understand relativity to our own body. And those questions are, number one, does it represent an improvement for you? For you, right? This lemon juice and ginger, is it better than, you know, is it is it an improvement from the bowl of cereal? Absolutely. Is it an improvement from the Chick-fil-A I used to have every day for breakfast? Absolutely. Is it an improvement from fasting? I don't know. That's relative to you. Is it an improvement for you? Number two, how does it make you feel? Do you feel energized when you do this? Do you feel more alert and awake? Get really clear on how it makes you feel. Number three, do you love it? 
Even if you were saying, I have pancakes for breakfast, we have to address, do you love it? Because the reality is, if we do something that we love and we're not willing to give up, I think that's okay. Because chances are, there are other points in our day where we can make modifications. Somebody emailed me a while back and said that one of their favorite things in the morning is to have a few dates, like the fruit dates, with their coffee. Is this something that they need to give up? And I, and I asked, I said, do you love it? And she said, yes, I really, really love it. And it makes me feel great. It wakes me up. I look forward to it in the morning. And I said, do you feel like that is the only thing that is imperfect or less than ideal about your day in terms of fat loss, from movement, from food, lifestyle, whatever? And she was like, no, gosh, no. And I said, then tackle the other things first. There's no need to eliminate things that you love when there are other areas for improvement in your day. So the third question is, do you love it? And the fourth question is, are you getting results? I talk about how when I stopped doing Chick-fil-A for breakfast, I started having protein bars for breakfast. Now, I don't do that anymore, but at the time, it was getting me results. Was it the perfect choice? No, but it represented an improvement for me, enough to generate my results. It made me feel good. I liked it, so I kept doing it. So if you are having lemon juice and ginger in the morning, does it represent an improvement? He said, yes. Does it make you feel good? Do you love it? Are you getting results? If you are getting results, then keep doing what you are doing. And I talk about why maintaining your minimum effective dose is so important and not feeling like you have to go whole hog perfection mode, you know, egg whites and broccoli or whatever, because at some point your body will adjust to what you're doing and it's then that you can make improvements. But if you're getting results with it, go for it. The other question that I asked him to consider is, why are you doing this, this lemon juice and ginger? What does it give you or what do you think that it gives you? So many times we adopt these strategies or habits or choices because we think that they are going to give us some benefit because somebody once suggested that they would, but we don't know. Like when I ask somebody, well, what does that do for you? What happens if you don't start your day that way with the lemon juice and ginger. Oftentimes they cannot answer. So if you are going to do these strategies, whether it's apple cider vinegar or lemon juice in the morning, I think it's important to know, is it working for you? Is it giving you the result that you think that it is giving you? Not are you getting fat loss results, but are you doing better, feeling better, getting better results when you do this thing versus when you don't? Now, specifically as it relates to fat burning mode, even if it takes you out of fat burning mode for that very short postprandial window, it doesn't mean you're out of it forever. If you eat something small that doesn't have a lot of sugar or doesn't have a lot of total energy, you're going to be in that postprandial state for a much shorter amount of time than if you have something bigger, heavier, higher in sugar. So the time out of fat burning mode depends on what you eat, how much you eat, how responsive you are to insulin. It's, it's just not black and white. The next question was about stevia. Does stevia take you out of fat burning mode? Does stevia generate an insulin response? So I did an episode on artificial sweeteners where I go into a lot more detail. So if you're curious about artificial sweeteners um, or 
natural, non-nutritive sweeteners. So sweeteners that don't contain calories but are not as artificial as, say, aspartame. I go into stevia and sucralose and uh, aspartame and ACE-K. In that episode, I will link to it in the show notes page for this episode. But there's something called the cephalic phase insulin response. And that is what happens. And the extent of this reaction depends on the individual. But when you put something sweet in your mouth, whether it contains sugar or not, so whether it's diet soda or a piece of sugar-free gum or a cupcake, your body begins to respond to it as what it thinks it is. So you introduce this sweet sensation and your body goes, oh, okay, sugar's coming, right? Just like if you think about food, how you'll often start to salivate, the cephalic phase insulin response is very similar to that. Your brain doesn't know yet because it hasn't hit your digestive tract. Your brain doesn't know, well, I guess your mouth is part of your digestive tract, but it hasn't hit your gut yet. Your brain doesn't know that it is a non-nutritive, non-caloric sweetener. And so it begins to sort of prime the pump and get your body ready. And so there is a small insulin reaction when you put anything sweet in your mouth because your body just hasn't figured out yet that it is non-nutritive. For most people, this is negligible and not really going to move the needle, right? And you can ask yourself if you're proof of this by are you getting results with the non-nutritive sweetener that you're using. The challenge with things like stevia or other non-nutritive sweeteners is that for many, many people, they trigger cravings. Because the reality is the more sweet things we consume, the more sweet things we want. And I go into a lot more detail on this in the episode on artificial sweeteners. But you have to ask yourself, does it work for you? Whether or not it's taking you out of fat burning mode in and of itself, does it trigger you to want more sweet things, to eat more sweet things? That is more likely to be the challenge. The next question I got was about popcorn. And somebody said, I bought popcorn and I read the label. It says there's no sugar, but it says it contains carbs. So since there's no sugar, does this mean it doesn't impact my blood sugar? No, it doesn't mean that because remember, we have to consider the building blocks of carbohydrates. So if you look at a label and it says no sugar, but it lists carbohydrates, what are the carbohydrates made of? They are building blocks of different kinds of sugar. And when we consume something, when we consume something, that is going to be uh, broken down to its simplest parts, which in the case of carbohydrates, contains sugar. So if we look at, for example, bread you could buy at the grocery store, you might find a loaf of bread that says it's sugar-free, but you know full well that bread is going to have an impact on your blood sugar, right? Why? Because the carbs are broken down during the metabolic process to their simplest parts, which is sugar. You can go pick up a bag of pretzels, and they might have sugar-free written all over the front, but what are those carbs? Those carbs are chains of sugar, and that's why it impacts your blood sugar. All right. The next uh, couple of questions come in, or actually I think there's just one, related to protein. Uh, And in part three, we talked about protein for fat loss, how it helps with fat loss, how much is too much, how much is not enough. And of course, I got the question, what do you think of XYZ protein shake? I'm not going to mention the brand because it really doesn't matter. My, My perspective tends to be the same. And first of all, I did an episode 
on protein shakes, and I linked to it in the show notes page for that episode. I will also link to it in the show notes page for this episode. So if you're curious curious about protein shakes, I go into a ton of detail on that episode. In general, I feel that our bodies respond better to real whole foods. But at the end of the day, we have to look at, does it represent an improvement for you? How does it make you feel? Do you love it? And are you getting results? Remember, when I transitioned from my Chick-fil-A chicken biscuit and chicken minis and hash browns and a diet soda for breakfast when I was almost 350 pounds, it was really working well for me, I went to protein bars. Were they ideal? No. But did they represent an improvement for me? Absolutely. How did they make me feel? Pretty good. Did I love it? I mean, I didn't love it, but I enjoyed it enough to continue doing it, and I was getting results. So when we're evaluating protein shakes, does it represent an improvement for you? How does it make you feel? And when I say that, does it satisfy your hunger? Does it increase or decrease your energy? Does it satisfy your cravings or trigger more cravings? And are you getting results? Is your body changing in the way you want it to change? The other part of it, though, is... Protein shakes are very expensive to make, and the average consumer doesn't know what is a high-quality protein shake and what is a very low-quality protein shake. And having worked in the supplement industry for most of my career, uh, that's where I left from to start Primal Potential, most of the protein shakes out there are pure garbage. They are inexpensively made because it's business. It's business. They're in the business to sell products. They're inexpensively made. They cut corners. These are artificial proteins in most cases. There are some that are from whole food products, and I go into this in more detail, so I'm not going to note every exception here. I go into that in the protein shake episode. But they use proteins that are not bioavailable, which means you consume them, but your body cannot use them or cannot use very much of them. And the other thing is, when they pump them full of vitamins and minerals to convince you how healthy this is and how it's like eating a salad bowl, it is not like eating a salad. You show me those ones that are like, and it contains 55% of all of your vitamins and minerals, or heck, a lot of them are like 300%. Yeah, you're also using the inactive forms of those vitamins and minerals, so thanks for not telling your consumer that. It really frustrates me because the average consumer is shelling out a lot of money for these things that are not well-made, that are not very bioavailable. And so what happens is you have very expensive urine and it makes it very easy to overeat protein when you probably don't need that much. But at the end of the day, does it mean that you can't get results with this? No, if it represents an improvement for you and you're getting results, then that's fine. But understand that it might not be the best thing, and it's certainly not usually the most cost-effective thing. What we have to remember about whole foods, like when we get protein from a piece of salmon, or um, when we get fat from an avocado, right? These whole foods are naturally packaged with what our body needs, like, and I don't mean in the grocery store packaged, I mean the actual food product itself, isn't just the protein, isn't just the fat. It naturally contains the vitamins, the minerals, the antioxidants that your body needs for the digestive and absorptive process. These cofactors protect the integrity, right? When you process a protein to make it into a protein powder, unless you are so, 
so, so careful, and most manufacturers are not because they're trying to make it affordable, you damage, you denature that protein so that it's inactive and it can't do anything in your body. It's just like when I talked about probiotics and I explained that most people in manufacturing probiotic supplements don't take enough care to keep the probiotics alive, and so you're spending your hard-earned money for dead bugs. Many of these protein shakes are poor form, are not bioavailable, the proteins are denatured because of the processing, and the vitamins and minerals in there are the inactive form that your body has a really hard time, if it's even possible at all, sometimes sometimes the forms are so poor that they're not bioavailable, but that you get a fractional amount of what you think you're getting. Let me be really clear, and I've said this in previous episodes, just because something's label claims content of X, Y, and Z percent or grams of protein or fat or vitamin XYZ doesn't mean that that's what your body can absorb. So I think we are always better off to go with whole foods. All right, rant over. Fat. I got a question about dairy. Is dairy fat or protein? Most things are a combination, right? If we look at an avocado and we think that's fat, well, it also contains a lot of fiber. It contains some carbs. If we look at Brussels sprouts, right? Brussels sprouts are carbohydrates, vegetables are carbohydrates, but there's also a good bit of protein in Brussels sprouts, but that doesn't mean we call Brussels sprouts a protein. It doesn't mean beans are uh, a protein because they contain some protein. So we have to look at what is it mostly. And with dairy, this varies, right? If we're talking about heavy cream or butter, that's pretty much pure fat. If we look at, say, Greek yogurt, that's gonna be more protein than fat, right? When we look at processed dairy products like ice cream or yogurt with fruit on the bottom or whatever else, those are more likely to be carbohydrate in a lot of situations because of the added sugar. Now, I did a full episode on dairy where I go into a lot of detail on the hormonal implications of dairy and what forms of dairy are better for fat loss than others and talked about how some dairy products create an insulin response in your body. So definitely, if you have questions specific to dairy, go check out that episode. I will link to it in the show notes for this episode. Or if you're on primalpotential.com, of course, you can just search dairy. All right. Fitness. One question came in because, okay, on the VIP email list, if you're on the VIP email list, I normally at the bottom of the weekly emails will do a summary of my week's workouts because I get a lot of questions about that. And I just sort of say like what I did on each day. So somebody emailed and said, I see your workouts in your weekly emails and it looks like you work out on most days. Don't you need to let your muscles rest and recover? Well, Maybe and maybe not. Here's the thing. We have so many muscle groups that it is so easy to move our body every single day while allowing for rest and recovery that our body needs. So for example, if you were to see that on one day I did heavy back squat, well, I wouldn't necessarily do heavy back squats the next day, but I very well might do body weight movements right? Burpees, jump rope, push-ups, pull-ups, whatever else. There are plenty of muscle groups that you can 
overtax one one day and give it a rest the next day while still moving your body. I think many of us, just like we overestimate how much we need to fuel after a workout, like, oh my gosh, I need to have a protein shake immediately after my workout. Do you? Is that true? Do you know it to be true? What happens if you don't? But we also sort of overestimate how much rest we need to give our body. Or I guess a better way to say that is we underestimate our body's ability to do what it needs to do. If we think back to like our Paleolithic ancestors, do you think that if they had to push a bunch of rocks one day, then the next day they were like, we really need to let our muscles recover, so no pushing rocks? Like, no, of course not. So part of it is related to if you do really stimulate in a significant way one group of muscles, you can still work out the next day and maybe stimulate them differently or not as intensely or focus on a different area of your body. The other thing is it's relative to how hard you work. If you are doing, or I'll use myself as an example. If I go in and I'm lifting 60% of what I know I can lift on something, then I don't need to allow my body to recover. It wasn't that much of a strain, right? So oftentimes my workouts are not anywhere near the maximum amount of weight that I can move. So I certainly don't need to like give my body a rest from that. The other thing to keep in mind is that your body is going to give you feedback on if and when you need to rest, right? Now, obviously we don't wanna work out to the point of pain There's a difference between pain and soreness, but if you wake up and your glutes and your hamstrings are insanely sore and tight from working out, then obviously that's not the best day to go like lift heavy lower body weights, right? But that doesn't mean that you should sit on your butt. In fact, sitting on your butt is the worst thing that you can do. One of the fastest ways that we can facilitate muscle recovery and eliminate storage is movement and uh, storage, eliminate soreness, is movement. So for me, if I wake up and my glutes and my hamstrings are really, really sore, and it's the kind of thing where like you really slowly lower yourself onto the toilet because you're so sore, like you don't want to sit down fast. On that day, I am going to move my legs and my butt as much as possible. I am going to do body weight squats. I am going to walk as much as possible. I am going to foam roll those areas. I am going to do a lot of body weight movement because the more uh, circulation I facilitate, whether it's lymph drainage or just blood flow to those areas, the faster I am going to recover. So I think we tend to underestimate our body's ability and overestimate how much time or recovery we need to give ourselves, listen to your body. It's going to let you know. All right. And then the last question, and I and I sort of tackled this in the fitness episode, but since the question came in, I, I wanted to obviously answer it. This came from a lady who said, I am one of those people who gains weight when I work out. And you said that lifting weights doesn't lead to weight gain, but I am proof that it does. Well, I get it. I understand some people put on muscle more easily than others. That is just true, right? Some people really, really struggle to put on muscle mass and other people, their muscles adapt very, very quickly under stress. But for somebody to say, I am proof. Now, this is the science geek in me, right? This is just this is just my like science-minded brain. For somebody to say, I am proof that lifting weights 
makes me gain muscle. That would mean that they basically took themselves as a study and all they did was lift weights and they didn't put any fuel in their body. And poof, their muscles grew, and so therefore they are proof. Now, I don't think this individual did that. In fact, I know she didn't because there was email about about food in there. But the only way to prove that muscle grows from weight training is to weight train and not eat. And I'm not, please don't, like, take on that experiment, please. Like, I'm not legally responsible for any crazy dumb thing you do. But the reality is... The only thing that grows tissue is fuel or drugs, like steroids. Now, you might feel more hungry after you work out. You might experience changes in body composition that maybe feel like... Okay, so for example, have you ever... And, and I certainly wouldn't have experienced this at 350 pounds because I just couldn't see subtle changes in my body, but... One thing that I was able to see more of once I leaned out some was that sometimes I just feel like thicker or fuller after a workout that I could easily sort of attribute to gaining weight or putting on muscle. But the reality is the more we lift, the more our muscles need fuel. One of the things that they do, our muscle tissues in response to stress or lifting, is hang on to more water. That doesn't mean, so if you know for sure, right, if you've gone through metabolic testing and you know exactly what amount of calories your body is burning on a given day and you eat less than that and you feel fuller, your genes, like maybe they're a little bit um, tighter in your butt once you start squatting really heavy, but you know you're not overfueling your body, we have to remember that our muscles sort of like plump out a little bit when, and and plump is such an awful word, I shouldn't have said it like that, but the reality is they hold on to more water. That doesn't necessarily mean that you are gaining muscle mass, but your muscles are more active. They're holding on to more fuel. This is why when, when bodybuilders do a show, right, they will carb up typically right before the show so that their muscles hang, remember carbs, every gram of carbs hangs on to about four grams of water. And you know that we have um, carbohydrate storage space in our muscle tissue. So they'll dehydrate themselves before the show, right? But then they'll have a higher carb meal because their muscle tissue is going to hold on to water when it takes on those carbs for storage. So we see a movement of fuel into the muscle tissue for recovery, and we see a movement of water that follows those carbohydrates into the muscle tissue. And sometimes that makes us get the appearance of filling out a little bit when we weight train, but that doesn't mean that we are gaining muscle mass. Now, there's also nothing wrong with putting on some muscle because it's going to help you accelerate your fat burning. But the point that I'm trying to make isn't don't build muscle. I've put on, gosh, probably... I, I had all of my metabolic testing and my, my I did some underwater weighing a while back. I need to do it again. But I would just roundabout say that I've probably put on... 20 or 25 pounds of muscle over the course of my weight loss, right? Putting on muscle it doesn't happen simultaneously, obviously, because one is an anabolic process and one is a catabolic process. But what that has done is significantly increase my metabolic rate. So obviously, if our goal is fat loss, we don't want to feel like we're getting bigger. 
But remember too, that a pound of muscle is way smaller than a pound of fat. So if putting on a pound of muscle helps me burn through the more voluminous fat on my body, I am all for it. So anyway, I wanted to take some time to get through these questions. I really enjoyed them. Thank you for sending them to me. Please never hesitate to reach out whenever you have questions. And what we will keep doing is just rolling on with the show as normal. This Fat Loss Basic series is over, but we will continue focusing on less but better. See you guys soon. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Primal Potential Podcast, where my goal is not to inform you, but to transform you. And if you would like to receive free motivation and strategy and recipes, workouts, meal ideas every week right to your inbox, just text the word PRIMAL to the number 44222 or go to primalpotential.com slash join. It's a great way to get the tools, the strategies, and the practical implementation assistance that you need to create your own transformation between podcast episodes. Just text the word PRIMAL to the number 44222 or go to primalpotential.com slash join. See you there. My little brother's friends have been camped out at our place for two days straight. Three. It's because of the Xfinity 10G network. Internet that can handle a house full of screens at once with like basically no interruptions. And it's only getting faster. When I was their age, internet like this was a pipe dream. You sound like my grandpa. Please go home. Introducing the next generation 10G network only from Xfinity. Restrictions apply, not available in all areas. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.